to Objection to the Rule, your Sunday afternoon news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. We are recording this episode on Saturday, February 12th, and it will begin airing on Sunday, February 13th, 2022. My name is Reese Robinson, and I'm on air today with my co-hosts, Emily Scott and Jasmine Smith. Ladies, what's up? Hello. Happy Valentine's Day-ish. Yeah, yes. I mean, well, the rebroadcast will be yes. on the, the proper holiday. So, yeah, happy um, Valentine's Day. Everybody celebrating this weekend and mm-hmm. into the week. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love all of you. And happy Super Bowl Aww. Sunday. Go, also go. that. <laughs> so I, I will never, I never will remember that it's Super Bowl weekend. Yeah, so it's weird because it doesn't always fall on Valentine's Day weekend, but it's mm-hmm. it's normally the first week in February. I remember like February second or third or fourth Super Bowl. So I don't know why it was later this year. Probably all the COVID stuff, but yeah, I'm excited. It's a um hopefully going to be a wonderful weekend for everybody. It's definitely good weather over here, as usual. <laughs> oh, is it? It's out by you this year. Yeah, it just so oh, happened to be like. Is, yeah, how close are you? Close to? Are you in the same city as the Super Bowl? Yeah, I'm in LA. Yeah, I'm in LA right uh, now. So I plan on it being pretty extravagant. I did do something really cool last night before we hop in that I just it feels like it's worth a mention. They have a huge Tupac Shakur um art installation downtown LA right now. And it's called Wake Me When I'm Free. It was phenomenal. It was about a hour and a half art installation that started with his mother, Afini Shakur and all of her work with the Black Panthers and led it to his life legacy. Oh my God, it was it was moving. If you get an opportunity to see it, if it comes to a city near you, it was definitely worth a ticket. Some dope black cool. history right there. What's yeah. it called again? It's called Wake Me When I'm Free. Yep, and it was nice. it was really, really good. It was one of those type things you see in life, you're like, wow, I'll probably never see anything like that again. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's really cool. So if you get a chance, if it comes near you this this year, or check it out online. I'm sure there's um, some stuff you can check out for it, maybe a video or something, but definitely worth the mention. So shout out to all of the creators to put that together. All right, so we're going to go ahead and kick off today's episode. For local news, we have a story about new efforts to unionize Starbucks workers in New York City. For national news, we have a cool story about the actual history behind Valentine's Day. For world news, we have a story about Nestle giving cocoa farmers money to keep kids in school and some good news about the tiger population in the year of the tiger. So let's kick it off. Emily, you're up. All right. Hello. Hello. Uh, So this is the local story for this week, uh, and it comes from a February 10th New York Times article by Christine Chung titled Starbucks workers in the New York City area seek to unionize. Four stores are joining a nationwide effort buoyed by successes in Buffalo. The article explains, quote, union efforts that began late last year at three Starbucks locations in Buffalo have spread across the country, and now they have landed in New York. Employees at three Starbucks stores in Manhattan and Brooklyn, including the company's marquee roastery in the meatpacking district and a store on Long Island, filed petitions by, uh, by Thursday morning with the National Labor Relations Board to organize with Workers United, an affiliate, an affiliate of the Service Employees International Union. The employees are asking to hold a vote on March 3rd. 
Uh, in letters addressed to Kevin Johnson, the company's president and chief executive, employees at the four New York area stores described years of deteriorating trust between the corporation and its employees, who are referred to as partners. They detailed struggles to make a living and concerns about work conditions during the pandemic, and they expressed the belief that a union would give them the opportunity to shape their workplace into a better one. Quote, in the past, Starbucks has maintained that it is not anti-union, but pro-partner, and that it has been responsive to concerns brought by its workers. This week, Starbucks fired seven employees who were trying to form a union at a store in Memphis, saying they had violated company policies. And in 2019, the company fired two employees seeking to unionize a Philadelphia location. Mark Mao, a roasting operator at the meatpacking district location, said the past several years have felt like a litany of broken promises about wages, staffing, and safety. The entire 10-member manufacturing team at the roastery, who handle the beans used on site, has signed union cards to qualify for a formal vote, Mr. Mao said. He added that they were not deterred by the recent events in Memphis. That just makes me feel like, uh, that, I'm sorry, <clears throat> that just makes me feel that this is the right way to do it, the right way forward, Mr. Mao said. Having a union represent our interests, having us collectively bargain for better working conditions and wages is more important since this happened. Dozens of lawmakers in New York, including city council members and U.S. representatives, are supporting the union efforts generally and wrote a letter dated Thursday to Mr. Johnson urging Starbucks to respect the right to organize. New York City is a union town and union busting has no place here, reads the letter, signed by 75 elected officials, including Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Tiffany Caban, a city council member. We believe that these organizing efforts will ultimately lead to a stronger and more sustainable future for Starbucks, the workers, and our city and state. So while I was uh, reading this article and researching it, I thought it might be helpful to give a little, I was, I was reading it and not, I'm not an expert. I don't fully understand the process of how unions form. Like I know that there's like these car, like it, it's kind of like this formalized process. Um, so I thought I would include here a little primer on how you go about forming a union for anyone who is curious and doesn't really, you know, doesn't really understand that process. So I uh, found this example on the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union or UFCW website. Uh, although there are all sorts of unions out there for all sorts of different pr uh, professions, like there's like the larger union, then I think there's different chapters of those union uh, more localized. Um, but again, I'm not an expert on that. So they lay out seven different steps for forming a union, the first of which is talking to your coworkers uh, and explains a union is when workers join together to improve their jobs. Talk to your coworkers about wages, benefits, and working conditions to see if they want to make them better too. Step number two is talk to a union organizer who from this website, it sounds like it's someone whose job is to help other people organize unions. Um, and this explains no matter your questions, they're, here, they're there to answer them and serve you. From learning how you can start a union to better uh, understanding all the steps involved in negotiating a contract, they want you to have all the information you need. Step number three is start a committee. And it explains with the help of a union organizer, you and your coworkers will build an organizing committee. This will be the key group of leaders at your workplace who feel strongest about the need to organize. Your committee will then work together to get more coworkers involved with the effort uh, to win a union contract that makes everyone's job better. 
Step number four is know your rights. Quote, unions like the UFCW will bring you more control over your wages, benefits, and workplace conditions. Companies would rather keep that control for themselves, so they often try to discourage employees from starting a union. Don't worry, it is your right, protected by federal labor law, to start a union. You have the right to talk to your coworkers about starting a union and about workplace conditions, including pay. Step number five is sign union support cards. Quote, once a majority of your coworkers agree on the need to have a union, you will sign support cards. These cards declare that you want to start a union and have the UFCW as your partner at work to help negotiate better wages, benefits, and working conditions, or whatever union that may be. Um, and again, this is from the UFCW website specifically, um, but these steps could also be applied generally. Um, step number six is vote. Quote, once a majority of your coworkers have signed union support cards, they are submitted to the National Labor Relations Board to request a union election. This part can take several weeks at the, as the board decides on an election date and determines who at your workplace can vote. If a majority of your coworkers vote yes at your election, your employer now has to recognize your union and bargain with you and your coworkers. And finally, step number seven is negotiate your contract. And this says, quote, congratulations, it's time to get the benefits you deserve. Um, in this case, UFCW and, our and their negotiating team will begin working with you and your coworkers to negotiate your first union contract. You and your coworkers will have the opportunity to vote on the contract before it is finalized to ensure it has the benefits and value you deserve. After you've won your first contract, you can officially obtain membership to the union. All right, and that was the primer on unions to uh, accompany that story about New York City Starbucks employees working to unionize. I like the end. It's like, it's just that easy. It's like, yeah, well, right? <laughs> it's good to know all those steps, but yes, mm -hmm. it's super hard. Like, I know, like, I don't know if you've been following like, the Amazon efforts to unionize yeah. warehouses. Like, companies really do everything mm -hmm. in their power to stop you and it can be very nefarious some of the mm -hmm. shit that they will do yeah and um i've had friends who have worked on unionizing at their jobs and i'll keep them anonymous for now because i'm not I've, I've talked to them about coming on the show to talk before but um i'm not quite sure where we landed on that but yeah it's it's sort of it starts off very often as being something a little underground, right? Like as something that um, you don't want your, before there's actually a union, right? Like you may be at higher risk of, um, oh, what's the word? Um, retaliation. Yes, retaliation. And uh, you could, you know, you could lose your job. And, you know, while that's illegal for you to get fired for trying to unionize, they might find some, you know, other reason why you should be fired, right? So it is, it is scary um I was actually at a job once and, and um someone was asking about like what it would be like to unionize or I don't know it, and there were like whispers of it but it never really formalized and there were definitely managers like explaining like oh you would hate it right like because yeah. you know the union would have all these decision powers that you wouldn't have and all this stuff and it was a pretty persuasive argument. I don't know, but it never it never got to the stage where people were. It was it was always just kind of like idle chatter. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I once was at a job that um, from the beginning it was a New York City job too. One of the first things they told me in HR was about the union, 
um, at this historical place. And it was funny because the you can't join it until after 60 days, I think, of employment. And so I was just going to do it for the experience. I was just working part time. But when I did that, there was new management take over the company. And so like the union kind of dissolved without anybody really having full explanation of what was going to happen. And unfortunately, not enough of the managers were retained in the new um, takeover. So I'm not exactly sure if the union, like the reps were able to even, you know, facilitate the changes that they have been working for all that time. So it definitely comes with risk, you know, but I think that especially in these large companies like Amazon and Starbucks, it makes sense, right? Because what we've seen over the last year and stuff, um, employers really don't care. They didn't care about us before. <laughs> right. So now you kind of have to take your power back. Like, no, I won't stand that. And mm-hmm. we have power in numbers. So I think it's great that you offered up that information too, because a lot of people are interested in organizing and don't know where to start. So, you know, if it's advocating for a place that you dedicate all your time to, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah, all of my full-time jobs so far have been in unionized workplaces, and I was a shop steward for a few years. You know, there was a case that went against the NLRB with one of my employers, and we were able to win that um, decision. Wow. And it was really, you know, it was a really transformative and empowering experience. So I've never been in a situation where it's a non-union shop and you're trying to change it. But as someone who's been on the other side, you don't want to let go of, you know, knowing that your boss can't just get rid of you because like they don't like you. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's so many protections that, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes, you know, because as a shop steward, like you sometimes have to talk to it's like herding cats sometimes because like sometimes your coworkers don't like each other, like they have different politics, but you have to try to get them to be of one accord and like agree on things or trust you to talk to you. And a lot of the complaints and things they would kind of conflate it with union stuff when it was really like a management issue or like something that had nothing to do with being in a union. And you have to try to explain to them, like, you shouldn't have to live or die based off of, you know, just the whims of a business. Like you should Mm -hmm. be able to have rights in your workplace. So if you have a union, you know, it's only as strong as its members. If you don't like how things are going, like you can participate, like it's supposed to be a democratic system. Um, And if you're not in one, you know, I would encourage you to look into trying to join one or connecting with people that are trying to organize at the workplace, because in my experience, it's definitely worth it. And, you know, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Jasmine and Emily. That was a great story and insightful um, about our rights as workers. All right. So we're going to go ahead and hop into our first music break today. In our semi-Valentine Day themed show, (laughs) Uh, we decided to pick some music that'll give you the love vibes. So the first one is Miss Nina Simone with the classic, I Put a Spell on You. We'll be right back. put a spell on you cause you're mine I 
Brooklyn is proud to present Black Emoji with Control the Sound at Mercury Lounge, located at 217 East Houston Street, on Sunday, February 13, 2022. The show will feature music from Black Emoji's critically acclaimed album, Electro, and will welcome Brooklyn-based band Control the Sound, called The Next Superstars by Pix11 News. With what Afropunk calls driving dirty synths in a stripped-down beat, this is one lineup worth stepping out for. Tickets are $12 and are available at the door or via Ticketmaster. As per NYC law, proof of vaccination is required for entry. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now for our uh, national news segment, I actually have two historical accounts of Valentine's Day for us to take a look at and um, discuss how different it is from what we see in the stores and all of that in the commercial world. The first one is uh, a story. It's called from USA Today. It's called What's the Story Behind Valentine's Day? Less about love and more about a bloodbath. The author is Michelle Shin. While Valentine's, I know, right? <laughs> it's a little crazy. <laughs> Why Valentine's Day might be associated with romantic love, the real story behind its namesake, St. Valentine, is full of bloodshed and heartbreak. There are multiple St. Valentines in history, and the historical origins of the figure are shaky, but some believing he was a myth for worship, while others believe he was a real person. The most likely historical figure of St. Valentine is Valentine de Terny, according to an article on the St in the academic journal, Repertoire de Medicina Carugula. Sorry, I'm horrible with Italian. <laughs> a Roman saint from the third century, Valentine de Ternay, was thrown into jail for secretly marrying couples against the wishes of Emperor Claudius II, who put forth an 
edict banning marriage for military personnel. The emperor believed that marriage would distract his military and make them less efficient on the battlefield. His jailer, a man named Arterius, taunted Valentine de Tournay about his supposed superpowers as a Catholic priest, saying he should make his daughter Julia, who was born blind, be able to see again. By reciting a prayer, St. Valentine restored Julia's sight. Awestruck by his powers, Arteus converted to Christianity and released religious prisoners from the jail. An angrier, angry emperor, Claudius II, then decided to behead St. Valentine and Asterius on the inauspicious date of February 14, 271 AD. Valentine attorney reportedly wrote a love letter to Julia signed from your Valentine, giving rise to the celebration of his martyrdom. So that's the first story. Um, yeah, let me just go into the second one. This one is from um, NBC, uh, www.nbcwashington.com. This one's called The Not-So-Sweet History Behind Valentine's Day. And the author is Corin Ciceric. When most people think of Valentine's Day, they, they envision a bouquet of red roses, a heart-shaped box full of chocolates, and perhaps even someone they love. And while that is what Valentine's Day has evolved into, the romantic holiday hasn't always been so sweet. The exact history of Valentine's Day is a bit murky, but some historians believe the holiday to be linked to Lupercalia, a pagan festival that was held annually between February 13th and February 15th in ancient Rome. The festival was intended to purify the city and facilitate fraternity, but it fostered ominous rituals, including sacrificing animals and beating women. The festival traces back to 6th century BC, and according to Roman mythology, it was in honor of a Roman fertility god, Lupercus, and the she-wolf who nursed twin brothers Romulus and Remus, the future founders of Rome, when they were abandoned as infants. In the 5th century AD, Pope Gallius I replaced Lupercalia and declared that on February 14th, people would celebrate St. Valentine instead. Although the stories behind St. Valentine are a bit vague, some legends say that he was a Roman priest who defied Emperor Claudius II, who banned marriage so men would be more willing to go to war by continuing to marry people in secret, which resulted in St. Valentine's brutal execution. But even after Lupercalia was no longer celebrated and St. Valentine was beaten and beheaded, it took quite some time for the holiday to turn romantic. According to History.com, Jeffrey Chaucer, an English poet, is our best clue as to when Valentine's Day began representing love. Jeffrey Chaucer was the first to record St. Valentine's Day as a day of romantic celebration in his 1375 poem, Parliament of Fools, writing for, um, writing, for this was sent on St. Valentine's Day. Oh, this is a, a, a line from the poem. For this was sent on St. Valentine's Day when every fowl cometh there to choose his mate. Written Valentines began appearing in 1400, and Shakespeare referenced Valentine's Day three times in his plays in the early 1600s. In the 1800s, Esther Howland began mass-producing Valentine's Day cards and popularized them in America. She is often referred to as the mother of the American Valentine. Her handmade cards often featured glitter, lace, and silk and are cherished by collectors to this day. Today, Valentine's Day has been commercialized, popularized, and, and everything in between with most buying Valentine's gifts for their lovers, children, friends, and even their pets. According to the National Retail Federation, Valentine's Day spending is expected to reach $23.9 billion in 2022. But when you're admiring beautiful red roses this year, remember the popularity 
of the color red during Valentine's Day might actually be rooted in the bloody sacrifices of all from all those centuries ago. So that's it. Um, wow, people out here getting killed in the name of love. <laughs> some shit never changes. Some emo, emo stuff. It's like some hot right? topic storytelling. Yeah, everybody out there that doesn't want to get their lover a gift can thank us because you can be like, well, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny, though. Um, it, I don't know. How's Valentine's Day? Um, just just for shits and giggles. How was it introduced to you guys as children? Were your parents like into it or was it just kind of one of those things that happened? My strongest memories as a kid was in school where we would write Valentine's and give candy to each other as kids. But like it was where everyone had to get you have to give it for the whole class. Right. Like it was yeah, like the 90s. Yeah. So it was like it was like very like no no one left out, which unlike I think previous generations where you would just give it to people you liked or your friends. Um, but my parents like we give like they always give me little Valentine's Day gifts like, you know, like it's like a little like it's sweet. I don't know. Like not, it's not a very romantic thing for me growing okay. up. It was like it was like friendship and family love, familial love. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, I have no like it was not a thing in my family growing up at all. Um, when I was in school, they would sell you could buy carnations, so it wasn't like it would go to everyone in the class. Like you could you know, pick and choose that like you could pay for a flower and a note to send to somebody. So I, I have okay. memories of that. Um, okay. So mine's are, mine's are kind of similar to you both. My mom is a holiday fiend. Okay. She buys into the shit. So there's like a, I a love flag. that. <laughs> I like know, all the holidays, the, right? All of them. Like every single one, I there's a that. flag, there's decorations. She's like all over the house with it. I'm like, whatever makes you happy. So growing <laughs> up, we always had Valentine's um, that we gave out in the family. Me, my mom, my brother, my father. We always did that. And then there was always some a special something from my stepdad for my mom. So I did get to see that. Um, we definitely did have to do the thing for the whole class. And in high school, they sold the carnations and you would, you know, wait to receive one. And if you didn't, people would be like all sad. <laughs> for me, I always like doing it with my friends. Like I like to celebrate Valentine's mm. Day with my homegirls or whomever's around, you know, just to give you that gushy feeling. So I'm a total sap. I think me and my friends are going to go uh, to the spa together. <laughs> I love that. Self-love this year. Mm-hmm. One of my that's favorite things. Cool. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Jess. No, I was just saying that's cool. Oh, thanks. It yeah, is cool. It yeah, is cool. You know? I just, the, the the talk about the fundraiser for the carnations reminded me actually one of my favorite things ever, just because there's nothing better than like high school, like drama and like that sort of stuff. But, um, a, they had a fundraiser in my high school where if you wanted to participate, you would, was it, you would fill out some sort of like personality form or some sort of like, I like maybe you didn't even do that but you would like give money and then they would give you a list of the other participate like people participating who were like you were most compatible with like it was like trying to match yeah oh yeah no it was like hinge but in the 90s or something like or this was like the early 2000s <laughs> when I was in high school but yeah no it was like it like felt like it was like salacious like you would everyone was like always excited to see who their list would be and if their like crush would be on it or something like that like wow. so good so good 
so salacious. I, I think I still have them somewhere at my parents' house. I know. Yeah, dig them up. That would be fun I to know. put in like a photo album as a memory. That's interesting. Yeah. Good stuff. So I think it's it's interesting. Like, I think there's a lot of holidays like that. Like, if you say, well, as soon as you say Saint anything, I'm going to think someone who died of bloody death. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of holidays where, you know, you mentioned like the Roman fertility thing, like where there's a lot of the traditions and stuff have some sort of yeah. pagan origin, but then it was rep- retrofitted to be like a Christian type holiday some way, mm-hmm. somehow. Uh-huh. So I think that's, that's, that's interesting. Like, I think, you know, you see that with like things that people do around Christmas time mm-hmm. with Saturnalia or around Easter time, where it's like, what does a rabbit have to do with? whatever you know it's like things that were happening around that time of year and then when that part of the world became christianized like you have to put you know some other reason for observing that day on it okay yeah that is it's always good to check out the history of the holidays that we celebrate or that are celebrated around us if you don't because they always have like a really interesting past and it's like hmm, maybe you don't succumb to the emotional part of it but i think the the concept of this man was marrying military families because they should be able to marry who they want to and not just be like warriors all the time i mean i i like that idea <laughs> sad he had to get beheaded to do it but um interesting stuff so, all those yeah all those stories are super super gruesome like the like yeah. the world was a very gruesome pace place i in, know in historically like, yeah and right. he wanted them to be sexless and loveless while they're out fight. Like, don't they want something to come back home to? Exactly. Oh, like, yeah. That's so sad. I know, like, right? Just a bunch of hater, miserable haters. Because he couldn't get no love. He wanted to kill everybody else's. That ain't right. <laughs> don't be a Debbie Downer. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I challenge you all this Valentine's Day. Don't wear red. Wear pink. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and pop into our next music break. This is a classic. We have Al Green, Let's Stay Together. We'll be right back.
Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now we'll have our world news story by Jasmine. Okay, so from a sort of sour story into something kind of sweet. So do you guys know like what country produces most of the cocoa in the world? Or do you have any guesses? Hmm. I, I would guess South America. Yeah, like Costa Rica. Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> South America. Okay, so Emily, which is not a country. Costa Rica? Yeah, Costa yeah, Rica. It's a country. No, no, no. But South. Yes, I, it's definitely South America. But that's not a country. So I'm gonna guess Costa Rica, which is a country. But I have. <laughs> oh, I have, okay. No, I, was about I have. To say. I'm just naming a country that I think <laughs> produces chocolate, which I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> Reese, do you have a guess? I was going to say South America, but then I start thinking about the Swiss and Belgian chocolate that I love so much. So <laughs> it probably clearly came from somewhere there. I don't know what country, though. Okay, well, you're both wrong. So- Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> teach us, teach us. So the country that produces the most cocoa in the world is the Ivory Coast in West Africa. Or Cote d'Ivoire in in French. Uh, So between the Ivory Coast and Ghana, uh, they produce, uh, I think, half or more than half of the cocoa in the world. And Ivory Coast produces about 38% of um, the the cocoa. So this story comes from Reuters. Um, It's from a few weeks ago. And the title is Nestle to give cocoa farmers cash to keep children in school. And it is by Silke Kulturowitz and Maital Angel. Uh, so I'm going to read uh, the majority of this, but some of it has been cut down for length. Nestle said on Thursday it would start paying cocoa farmers cash if they send their children to school rather than out to tend crops as part of a push to purchase all of its cocoa through a fully traceable, directly sourced supply chain by 2025. Chocolate makers are coming under mounting pressure from investors, consumers, and governments to make sure the cocoa beans they source are not produced using child labor or in illegal cocoa plantations in protected forests, both of which are common in West Africa. 
The food group behind Kit Kat chocolate bars and Smarties confectionery said it will triple its current annual spending on sustainable cocoa to give a total investment of 1.3 billion Swiss francs or $1.41 billion by 2030. Nestle Chief Executive Officer Mark Schneider said the new income accelerator program was a major step towards farming practices that benefit farmers and the environment, but acknowledged the path to a living income for cocoa households would be, would be long and winding. A recent survey by the University of Chicago found that among children in agricultural households in Ivory Coast and Ghana cocoa-growing areas, 45% were engaged in child labor. Ivory Coast Prime Minister Patrick Achi said his country welcomed the new program, saying it would help companies and countries meet the requirements set out in looming due diligence legislation, notably in the European Union. We must at all costs and by all means deal with the root cause of the ills on which we all agree, which is the income of the farming population, he said during the webcast. To qualify for the payments from Nestle, farmers have to send their children to school, prune cocoa trees, plant shade trees, and diversify their income with other crops or livestock. To check that children really are attending school and farmers are following the rules, IDH, or the Sustainable Trade Initiative, will monitor the program with other third parties. Children casually helping on family farms outside of school time do not fall under the International Labor Organization's definition of child labor. Nestle said 51% of the cocoa it used in 2021 was directly sourced and traceable versus 46% in 2020. By 2025, it wants to be able to trace 100% of its cocoa back to specific farms under its in-house sustainability scheme called the Nestle Cocoa Plan. Uh, so I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit for the sake of time. Uh, this is a different um, fact that was also published on Routers in November of 2021. Ivory Coast Ministry of Water and Forest estimates 20% to 30% of the roughly 2 million tons of cocoa produced annually is grown illegally and that practically all those beans enter the global supply chain. So there's not only an issue with um, like child labor concerns, but also you know people feeling pressure to overproduce, um, that they will start farming in like protected forest areas, which is obviously bad for the environment. That's so interesting and a great little Valentine's Day story, I think, because there's so much. What are, like what are the big can there's always big candy holidays right where like there's so much I'm sure like there's such a boom in chocolate I know that Halloween's yeah. obviously a big one Valentine's Christmas Day Christmas. Christmas yeah Easter I, um, like all of yeah. them almost except yeah. for yeah yeah <laughs> um <laughs> I worked at a fair trade coffee shop for a little bit and I know that the owner really put a huge emphasis around Halloween for um pushing fair trade chocolate um specifically because of like how much and that was about how many years ago I don't know I don't know it, there's been a lot more focus I think placed especially on the environmental angle of it but also how that is not you know 
inextricable from the human side of these stories so often. Right. Um, yeah. And just the import, yeah, the importance of treating the people like on the food supply chain um, with, I mean, I don't even want to say like with respect, but like just like making sure they're able to like support themselves and their families. Um, Sustain their lives. Yeah. 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 So the program they were they're aiming to pay farmers about five hundred and forty three dollars a year, which is roughly twenty to twenty five percent of the farmer's average annual income. Uh, so that's for now, and they're going to be paying farmers and their spouses directly uh, via direct cash payments using a mobile transfer. And it will be independent of the volume of cocoa that they produce, which is good, you know, cool. so you don't have to deal with the pressure of like, you know, because there's so much overproduction and like people aren't cutting down trees and like doing these things because like they don't care about their own environments. Like there's an economic reason why people feel like they have to do that. So, you know, you got to pay people what they're worth so that that's not happening. That's a very good point. Um, and a great story. Good insight. Thank you so much for that. Emily, you got some good news for us? I do. I do have some good news. It is not Valentine's Day themed, but I think Jasmine's was a little bit like a little bit Valentine's Day good news. Um, this is specifically, though, about the year of the tiger, which is very cool and how um, actual tiger populations are on the rise. Um so very cool stuff. So I found this, I've mentioned this Instagram account a bunch of times, but it's called Future Earth and they do this good news roundup on Tuesdays, which I love, um, especially if you have anxiety about environmental stuff, it's a great place to go. Um, and the actual article is from February 4th on ecowatch.com by Paige Bennett titled WWF Report Highlights Tiger Population Gains for the Year of the Tiger. The article explains, quote, Reported concurrent with the Lunar New Year and the Year of the Tiger on February 1st, 2022, a study from World Wildlife Fund, WWF, shows that tiger populations are finally showing an increase after more than a century of steady decline. The study notes that since 2010, or the last year of the tiger, tiger populations have increased, in part due to several restoration efforts. During that time, the first tiger summit gathered experts to, ex to determine ways to conserve tiger populations across 13 countries. The first record of recovering tiger populations happened in 2016, the first uptick in over a century. Quote, in the new Impact on Tiger Recovery 2010 to 2022 report, WWF outlines tiger conservation successes, including numbers that have tripled in Land of the Leopard, a national park in Russia, and a new designated tiger protection area, the world's largest in China. To improve tiger population numbers, WWF and its partners have implemented several tactics, restoring tiger habitats, combating the illegal wildlife trade and poaching, expanding the tiger's range and allowing them to safely cross borders between nations, carefully relocating tigers to reserves to improve breeding, and training volunteers on handling human-tiger conflicts, among several other methods. Quote, while the impact on tiger recovery report and the survey of wildlife in 30 hills is encouraging for tiger conservation, WWF warns that these animals are still facing serious threats. Tigers are likely extinct in Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam, and populations face decline in Malaysia over the past 12 years. Their range is still declining, and WWF estimates their current range to be about 5% of their historic range. 
The second Tiger Summit is slated for September 2022 in Vladivostok, Russia. Uh, the goal is to determine the next phase of the global tiger recovery plan with a focus on setting goals to further expand range and reintroduce tigers to their former habitats. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, the story. And um, I know, Jasmine, you mentioned earlier that also the Bengals are in the Super Bowl. So it's it's that tiger energy this year. It's really coming in strong. Yeah, that's that's great news. I like. I'm mm-hmm. glad to hear that their numbers are bouncing back. Because yeah, you know, I remember yeah. growing up being so obsessed with it. Everything seemed like it was on the verge of dying out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely love to hear that. You know, animals are being protected and sustained. I always a fear a day when we won't have ch- the children grown up now won't know anything about certain animals, certain species because they'll be gone. You know, like the actual thought of that is really depressing. So this is really good to hear. And tigers are so beautiful. I don't know if you guys I ever know. see any of them in real life, but they are a really beautiful animal. I know. Um, in a way thought- that's different than lions, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, the little thing in the article I just read, too, the piece where it talks about, like, handling human-tiger conflicts, like, I know that that's real and that, like, you know, humans encroaching on tiger population and, like, in wildlife populations in general is an issue and most places in the world but like when I read it I sort of like thought to myself like oh it sounds like like you know like a mediator like a conflict mediator like yeah, sitting down in like yeah. a therapist's office like <laughs> yeah. trying to like chat with like a tiger in glasses anyway jokes 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 but um also related I just saw that part of the infrastructure bill Biden's infrastructure bill actually includes I think planning for helping wildlife like cross over like large infrastructure like highways and things like that i have okay. to look more into that but that that's a big oh, so issue like where they won't be hit, so they won't become road yeah like that like i think, I think i've seen i've seen more stuff about this um coming up over the years i'm trying to remember where i saw it, it might have been the future Earth piece that there there's some experimental like special crossings that have been created for wildlife yeah so so that they can migrate naturally without right being um confronting like like huge like highways being hit or just like not migrating in the way that they naturally need to because of fear for all that um hmm I can try and find it later or for a future story but um yeah this stuff is important you know the way humans encroach on wildlife populations and trafficking and all that stuff i was just going to talk about the actual meaning of the tiger symbolism yeah um, that's the year of the tiger it's a um it stands for strength fearlessness and a military proudness so basically it's it's like a a strong uh my interpretation that is the symbolism is about um almost what's the word i'm looking for when you are strategic about using your strength, you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of that sort of like go towards your efforts or whatever is right for you, your own justice with a strength, but also like a a nobility that, you know, you can overcome the obstacle. I've been reading like a lot of different stuff about the symbolism in, in, in different cultures. And it's very, the tiger is very popular in many different cultures as a strength, um, a symbol of, ambition power courage justice and integrity so it's pretty dope and the Bengals are gonna win because of that 
<laughs> right, Cincinnati. That's your team, right? That's my hometown. Yeah. yeah well, wish them luck. Because this is airing right before the game. What time is the game? The game starts at uh, 5. Probably. So this will be airing a few hours right, before. Yeah. Or 5 o'clock California okay. time. No, 5 o'clock East oh, Coast yeah. time? I thought kickoff was at like 6.30. East Coast. I, I don't know. You're probably you're probably right. That's probably just where I, <laughs> well, you well, I don't know. I, I don't know if anyone's gonna be listening to the show live on Sunday, but <laughs> <laughs> you know I went to the Super Bowl once. Did we ever talk about that? Really? No. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It's one of those things that like I was at the I was at the Giants um Patriots Super Bowl in Arizona in two thousand eight. Um Oh wow. That, yeah, that mean? was that was I know. It was kind of crazy. My dad has been a Giants fan like forever. He was on the wait list for season tickets for 23 years. Like oh he got gosh. them. He got, yeah, he got them when I was like 12. Um, so I started going to games with him then. And then when I was in high school and I was about six, I was thinking, I think I was 16 when that Super Bowl was happening. And my dad, and it was, my dad always regretted not going to the 91 Super Bowl, which was the last time they, no, there was, they were in the Super Bowl in 2000 and they lost. Um, but like he didn't go in 91 cause my mom was pregnant with me, but, um, <laughs> so they're in the Super Bowl, and he, like they're against the Patriots who were undefeated that year. Right. Up until that point. So there was like, there's no way they're going to win. But my dad was like, let's just, he's just like, I'm going to get us ticket. He was, he just spent like a week in like in the computer room, just like plotting this like elaborate scheme because it was like, we couldn't get a direct flight to Arizona. It was like too expensive or sold out or something like that from like the New York, New Jersey area, obviously. And so we flew to LA and drove 400 miles across the desert, which was awesome. Wow. I, I had never been, had I, I don't know if I'd, I, I had never been like across the desert like that before. It was awesome. And then it turns out my mom's best friend, like from growing up lived in Phoenix. So we had a free place to stay. Like, otherwise, like, you know, we, we oh, wouldn't have been able to afford anything. Yeah. And me and my dad went and we didn't expect them to win. And then it was like, ended up being one of the craziest games ever. It this was wild. Really sounds like National Lampoon's trip to the Super Bowl. It's like a New Jersey family I know. against the New York team fight against the Boston team in the desert. It the was desert. crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Yeah, but it was cool. Well, did the Giants win? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, well, oh, I, have a, I have a fun fact about that Super Bowl too. So, oh, I moved, do you? Yeah, I moved to New York December two thousand and seven. So when I oh, moved yeah. there, the Giants went to the Super Bowl and they won. Yeah, so yeah. I just moved to California. Oh, know. I might admit it might just happen. I don't want LA to win, by the way. Just so yeah. Know, all right, my people at home uh, will kill me. So uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So hopefully I I spread the luck this way. But there's tons yeah. of people here from Cincinnati. Like there's some diehard fans. Oh. So, yeah, it was pretty cool being downtown last night, seeing all the bingo stuff. I was like, oh my god, where sure. are we? <laughs> yeah everybody stay safe out there yeah. on the field off the field in the yeah. crowd stay in your house that's my advice watch <laughs> the safety of your home stay with your, get kinda stay wild. With your people yeah stay yeah. with your people if you are in the street stay connected have a plan yeah you know, just wear a mask it's still yeah. a you know pandemonium outside so i know, I know not yeah. to not to be a downer but like there's a lot i don't know if you're out in la just Keep your eyes peeled for anything, yeah, of anything kind of shady. Anyway, so on that note, now that yeah. we sound like three moms, <laughs> <laughs> happy Super Bowl Sunday, Janet yeah. Jackson Day, Valentine's yeah. Day, all of it. 
Yeah. All of that cool. good jazz. And thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Objection to the Rule. You can catch our older episodes on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org, on Radio Free Brooklyn app, or on Spotify. Listen up for more independent Brooklyn media. We're going to play you out with one last final Valentine's Day track, a classic, My Funny Valentine by Ella Fitzgerald. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. Behold the way our fine feathered friend his virtue doth parade. Thou knowest not, my dim witted friend, the picture thou hast made. Thy vacant brow and thy tousled hair conceal thy good intent. Thou noble, upright, truthful, sincere, and slightly dopey.
You can follow our social media accounts. We have an Instagram account and we also have a Facebook account. Our Facebook page can be found at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free BK. No spaces, no punctuation. Our Instagram account is at objection to the rule. Again, no spaces, no punctuation marks. If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter.